0: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDIC. The show goes on. It's Eli Sussman here, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins all year round, every day, in our own way. And I mean that. The season has just ended, just wrapping up with a 67-95 and 95 record, fourth place in the National League East, not last in a full-length season. It has been a while since the Marlins have been able to make that claim, courtesy this time of the tanking Washington Nationals, somehow winning the race to the bottom, (laughs) I guess with the Marlins, it's the smallest of silver linings to take into the offseason. They'll be picking sixth overall, presumably, in the 2022 MLB draft. I think we can all agree this was a very stressful and disappointing season, yet just the volume of it was a refreshing return to normalcy coming off that short end season. There was a whole lot to talk about, and we hope we... Gave you a lot to listen to here on the podcast channel so beginning here with some programming notes as we enter the off season there's still going to be a lot of audio coverage here I should be doing these official show episodes about once a week for the foreseeable future this one you're listening to probably in the it's being released in the wee hours of Monday morning more typically I expect to be dropping episodes on Wednesday mornings so just keep that in mind both myself and and with a variety of guests, of Fish Stripe staffers. You have been listening to this channel throughout the season, you've heard four days a week on weekday mornings, our Big Fish Small Pod with A.T. Wardall and Daniel Rodriguez. I have both of them continuing to do this stuff for the early portion of the offseason at least but we're cutting their volume in half of course with without the natural crutch of having daily games to cover and to preview we'll be having one episode each week from A.T. Wardall one episode each week from Daniel Rodriguez covering everything else and there is a lot else that will still be going on October is coaching like shifting month what am I looking for coaching carousel. This is when the coaching carousel goes round and round and round. We are expecting some changes on the Marlins front. So when those happen, they'll have reaction to it. The Arizona Fall League is about to get started with seven Marlins prospects, getting extra reps and playing with some of the other top prospects in Major League Baseball. The Winter League's not far behind, Dominican Winter League. So there's that. And of course, the elephant in your headphones is... Transactions, player transactions, trades, free agency, uh, even before those things happen, most of those will happen after the world, world Series, there should be rumors flying around that we'll be reacting to, offering analysis of, and I, we hope you'll we'll be able to like put your mind in the right spot in terms of specific players that make sense for the Marlins, ones who are expendable to the Marlins, all that good stuff should be a lot. On the website, fishstripes.com, We still have our mostly daily news posts handled from yours truly. We'll have plenty of analysis from this past season. Voting is now open for the September-October Marlin of the Month Award. Juan Pais has been handling those awards for us throughout the entire season. So you have a couple days to get those votes in, for which Marlins player finished the year the strongest. And our series being kicked off also here on Monday will be This season review, 2021 Marlins season review, going player by player throughout the entire roster, as well as some other guys at the upper levels of the minors, maybe even some players that were traded during the season, some big picture trends about this Marlins season. Uh, I'm sure you can think of some that made this Marlins team distinct, sometimes in very unfortunate ways, trying to unpack exactly how that happened and what it means for the future of the organization. The focus of this episode is... As you may be able to see, see in the title, talking about Marlins players that should be on their way out of the organization and don't really fit with what this team is building. There is a roster crunch at the end of every year, as I'll be getting into shortly. What fits rather conveniently into this topic is changes on our Fish Stripes staff as well. People who will not be returning next year, and fortunately, these are under very happy circumstances. There's gonna be an article up on Fish Stripes on Monday from Ethan Badowski reflecting on his several years with Fish Stripes, more than three on and off, and especially on during this 2021 season. I could not have done it without him. He was absolutely instrumental in everything we did. He was the one that fueled our Fish Stripes live live streams. That I had this idea shortly before opening day. Covering the team that way and discussing on a live stream, interacting with the fans that listen to us, collaborating with staffers, bringing on special guests. I mean, there are about 60 hours of live stream footage that you could go back and rewatch during the off season on YouTube, on our Twitter site, on um, on Twitch as well. And Ethan took the lead on that. He, I mean, he was the only Fishtribe's live host that we've ever had, and uh, he is leaving. Enormous shoes to fill in that regard because that was such a successful venture that he led He's going to be shifting his focus to just baseball, which is the site founded by Fish Stripes alum Aram Layden And Ethan told me he's still trying to define exactly what that role is going to look like He is still finishing up his degree at the University of Florida as well I I can't say enough about his his work ethic his knowledge of baseball and I think most importantly, just his personality and his, his humanity. He is just a remarkable person that we were fortunate to have here for these last several years. And I am certain that he is going to be a huge titan of sports journalism moving forward in whatever particular particular role that he settles into. So, so thank you, Ethan, for everything and uh, I'm excited to see the coverage that he does with just baseball throughout this postseason and beyond. You can find him on Twitter at Ethan Badowski. If you don't already, follow him already. Yet another just extremely talented person that that I've been fortunate enough to cross paths with here at Fish Stripes. We are building a pretty nice alumni network, if I do say so myself. Will the Marlins be able to move forward without some familiar faces on their major league roster that we've seen throughout this 2021 season and many of whom had been clinging on for several years before that? Uh, Why these decisions are so important is... You could just take the Marlins' word for it, I guess, if you want to go straight to what CEO Derek Jeter said in his latest media availability. If you want to go by Craig Mishes reporting on Swings and Mishes, they sense an urgency to be competitive in 2022. This is not all that different from the company line we've heard before. If they're serious about it, then they uh, they need to do a whole lot of heavy lifting. Coming off this season, that any way you slice it, they were a very bad team at the major league level one thing holding the back has been this stubbornness to cling on to players that they've invested something in familiar faces um and as well i mean there are even some players that don't really fit into that category at all this was just a, a frustrating year to follow because there was it was just difficult to grasp why a lot of these players were on the roster And especially some of those that were in prominent roles on the roster, even though, you know, they had flaws in their game and didn't seem to fit in whatever this organization is supposed to be building. So this episode, talking about Marlins players, who we saw in 2021, who finished the year kind of on the roster, who I don't expect back next year. It's because at the moment, you know, there's a 40-man roster, but that Roster gets stretched by players who are on the 60 day injured list. This stuff gets sold uh, over the course of October when those players inevitably need to be put back on the roster if they're going to stick around. And you're going to have a roster crunch here where there are going to be at least six, seven, eight, depending on exactly what this final number is. They are well above the 40 man fra- threshold if you include all these players that they hid on the 60 day IL to end the year. There's a crunch. They need to make some of these decisions pretty immediately and others will need to be made as this offseason progresses. Going through some of these individual players, not not trying to make it personal against any of these guys, but just a combination of performance, contractual status, positional fit, all that stuff that makes me doubt that they will be back in 2022. Let's start off with Sandy Leone. Almost...
1: It's time to go. Not
0: not all of us feel the exact same way with Sandy Leone. For a big chunk of the season, there was an interesting disparity in how the pitchers performed when they threw to Sandy compared to the other catchers on the roster. You could look at his catcher ERA to to back that up. Um, with with that being said, as the season progressed, he. I think that trend really faded. It really got muddled with the rest of the other catchers. And offensively, it is hard to overstate how how useless he is, Sandy Leone, at this stage of his career. And it's it's nothing new. This is something that stuck out as soon as they signed him, where he is, bottom line, one of the worst offensive players in baseball going back several years. He had that very surprising breakthrough with the 2016 Red Sox. But if you go from 2018 onward, you have this sample of how many plate appearances. You're talking about nearly 800 plate appearances, more than really one and a half seasons worth as a full starting catcher, where he's got an OPS in the low 500s, where he is hitting his batting average, if you want to be as simplistic as that, is 179 over that time. When you don't hit for much power, when you are one of the slowest base runners in the game as well, that I believe that more than negates what he brings intangibly and what he brings defensively as a player. So I was not at all concerned with signing him in the first place. They gave him a minor league deal. He was essentially the third catcher, fourth catcher, entering spring training on the depth chart and very quickly was propped into big action because of injuries. And um, I think that's fine. If you want to work out that same arrangement with him next year, uh, tough to be upset about that in any way, but there are so many other options out there. I feel like his defensive impact has been overstated quite a bit. He's, he's not top of the chain. He's not Jeff Mathis 2.0, and perhaps that is one particular example that people have ingrained in their mind that they believe he's because he's a defensive specialist, he's a defensive impact player, and I think that's an important distinction that I want to make, and I would be very surprised if he comes back. Of course, the late-season performance from somebody like Nick Fortes makes the Marlins feel a little bit better about their other internal catching options. Who else will not be back next season? Preston Gilmett, Andrew Bellotti, and Devin Marrero. It's
1: time to go!
0: I I clumped those three together because they're all in the same boat, called up at the very, very end of the season just to respectfully take up space on the Marlins roster. Uh, I think if you combine them all together, Gilmet, Bilotti, and Devin Marrero to this point, they were probably DFA'd a combined 10, 11 times during the year. Uh, Gilmet especially, I feel it was rough on him only appearing in two games despite being up and down and up and down a handful of times uh, this year. I think the Marlins have a very clear understanding of who those guys are as traditional organization fillers. Devin Marrero actually had a a couple of nice moments uh, for the Marlins this year. He did get the opportunity to start that final game of the season in which they won, and earlier, I guess this was, what, early September when he had that, pretty good offensive game that included a home run and eh, nice story nice story for all of them and andrew Bellotti, he had a long hiatus between major league appearances um when finally closed when the marlins called him up he had previously only pitched in the majors back in 2015 with the tampa Bay rays nice all nice but they are uh they're going to be on the market this offseason for sure just organizational philotypes every offseason the Marlins had to plug some holes. At least with these guys, they did get an opportunity to break through to the major league level. At some point uh, with this team, bait being used in very low leverage, uh, unimportant situations in the grand scheme of things, that's three easy roster spots right there that should be officially opened in the coming days once those guys are set free onto the open market. Jorge Alfaro. It's
1: time to go! Go!
0: Yeah, Alfaro, we haven't had to think about him much over the last month or so because he ended the season with knee soreness, inflammation, whatever that was. Um, he wasn't feeling well enough to play. They, they hit him on the IL to and the season. And it's, it's remarkable that I'm just looking at now to see how identical his offensive production this year is to the 2020 shortened season. When we evaluate a lot of players, I'd say more often than not, we have to lean towards dismissing 2020 for its sample size issues, for the variety of uh, unprecedented work conditions that players were in, that when possible, in looking at a veteran player, you want to weight the 2020 season very lightly. But it's just astonishingly similar for Alfaro. In 2020, he had that 280 on base percentage, 344 slugging. This year, 283 on base percentage, 342 slugging. OPS is one point apart from where it was last year, in that year where he got booted as a starter. Something that I've mentioned on our other platforms is just a very disappointing lack of power from him as well. Only four home runs in 92 games played for somebody that has perhaps the best raw power on the team, if not awfully close, to that just looking at his exit velocities. Um, he, I mean, you've seen him play. If you've seen him, seen him play going back to 2019, there's a lot of examples of him showing power to all fields. He was not able to tap into that whatsoever here in 2021. With him, he's not a pending free agent, but he is arbitration eligible and he's due a slight raise over the $2.05 million he made in 2021. I can't imagine the Marlins giving it to him. He's just... He has a lot of bad habits offensively that he hasn't worked out. As a player who is 28 years old, the the thing is that I, I think with him that he's kind of an old 28 being that he has been in professional baseball for what 12 years now he, and he was a highly touted prospect going basically to the very beginning of his pro career. He has be, played so many games. At, at high levels of the competition. He's been given so many opportunities to like get a little bit better and better and better and he just hasn't done it. He has not made adjustments. He's not matured as a player on the field. He's been a, he's been a fun guy to root for off the field, uh, well, from home. He's been a fun guy to root for from afar over his couple of years. He is a dynamic player. He's just not a good player. He's not. And Being out of options, out of minor league options and being due a raise and just the way that Again, like little things that we saw down the stretch from the younger catcher options as well. A combination of Nick Fortes and Alex Jackson and Peyton Henry. And knowing that the Marlins have a lot of resources to sign or trade for basically any catcher that's even slightly available. They could overpay to address this premium position, and they're not going to pay anything, I don't think, to bring back Jorge Alfaro, despite... Him being such a big piece of that Real Muto trade, it's time to move on from that. George Guzman. It's
1: time to go!
0: This is another one where there could be some differing opinions on this. Um, And similar to Alfaro, he was a piece of a massive trade, the Giancarlo Stanton trade... At the time of the Stanton trade, believe it or not, George Guzman was the most valuable piece that they received in return from the Yankees, going along with Starlin Castro and with Jose Devers at the time. I mean, Guzman was a higher-rated prospect. He was the one that had already nice performance in the mid-levels of the minor leagues. He has had ever-so-brief opportunities at the major league level over the past two years, and... Uh, I mean, unfortunately, injuries have played a big role in this. He got off to a late start this year due to an elbow issue. And after only two games with the Marlins in, was it it called up in late August? Early September? It was right around there. And he almost immediately, he got hurt again with his arm. Yeah, it was in the middle of August, actually. They were trying to give give him that long runway over the final quarter of the season to establish himself as a piece of this bullpen moving forward and he physically was not able to do that just from watching him. Uh, the numbers that he put up in, in AA in 2019 were mildly encouraging, um, and then this year, in a small sample of AAA Jacksonville, uh, you know the strikeout rate was pretty good, but just watching him, man, I don't think the control is Major League quality. I don't think he even really has a shot at being anything more than the low-leverage middle relief type if everything goes right, just because his his control is not there. He doesn't put enough pitches in the zone. And, um, I mean, certainly his command is is just not a piece of the puzzle with him. He does not put pitches where he wants them to. He does have an interesting arsenal uh, that we were able to see in an ever-so-brief time in the majors. We were able to see it in AAA as well. Fastball, slider, changeup. He can miss some bats. He is going to be 26 years old in, in January. He's also out of minor league options as well. You know, For him to stick on this roster next year, he'd have to make the team out of spring training. And I just don't think that the upside is there to merit that because of the limitations in his game uh, right now. There are other directions. They should be looking for relief help. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him designated for assignment at some point in, in the near future. I'm not really sure if he would be claimed by another team. If I had to guess, it kind of depends on what stage of the offseason. Maybe you lose him for for nothing, and that's it's going to be an unfortunate turn of events compared to how he was valued four years ago. But of all the really talented arms that they have in the mid-upper levels of their minors, as well as, of course, ones just breaking through to the major leagues, he's really far down for me on the depth chart. And I have to imagine they feel the same. This is all about creating room on the 40-man roster because you guys are laser focused on who are the, who are the impact players they'll bring in this offseason, right? Well, there's always going to be a corresponding move to that. In order to open up the room to make the team better, there needs to be a trade-off. There needs to be players that are on the opposite side of that. And some of the ones, as we've mentioned, Sandy Leon, Jorge Alfaro, George Guzman. Isan Diaz. It's
1: time to go! Go!
0: Now he's in a slightly different position than the other names that I just mentioned. He does have one minor league option remaining for next year. There's not that um, necessity to make a decision on him now. They can always hold on to as much depth as they want, and we've seen them do that. Man, I mean, if you look at the last few years, other players in his age range with his prospect pedigree, they cling on to these guys until <laughs> until there's uh, there's nothing left until they find themselves in the major league level or until they just show that the opposite, show that they can't contribute in any meaningful way. So this one, I I wouldn't say I'm 100% sure that they cut the cord uh, with Isan. I'm pretty close to that. It was just miserable to watch him play for the Marlins this year. There's no other way to uh, describe it. I, I wouldn't necessarily call him the most disappointing player in the organization this year just because my expectations were not high for him. There were bright red flags from how he played in his rookie year in 2019, despite the age, um, and despite the fact that you know there are other talented players that put up even worse numbers than he does than he did in his rookie year. It's just that it was clear that this is not quite this is not the dynamic player that we that was being scouted. This was not it was not going to translate quite as easily as people hoped just seeing what he did at AAA. Um, His numbers, awfully similar this year to what they were in 2019. You know, the batting average ticked up a few points. The OBP on-base percentage up to 293. But then the slugging, man, only four home runs in 89 games. It's almost the exact same stat as we said for Jorge Alfaro. Nobody really thought that Isan had the same raw power as Alfaro did, but he's a pull-happy type of guy. So if you think that anybody would be able to hit the ball out more often than his his physical tools would suggest you'd think it was somebody that was pull happy the way that Isan du- is uh, and really the only positive thing you could say about his offensive game is that walk rate it had been high uh, when he came into the league it was even higher this year he can get on base at like a moderately usable level um, if he was a good If he was like, if he had, you know, something else to contribute anywhere else, they moved him a lot to third base. He ended up playing more third base than second base at the major league level this year. As I look at it, it's almost dead even, almost an exact even split. It was 30 starts at third base, 279 innings, 33 starts at second base, 270 innings. And by defensive run saved, he was actually bad at both spots. They have it, um, they have pretty similar thing in the negative and overall a negative eight defensively in basically a half season at the major league level by the eye test i'd say his third base play was a little bit better than his second base play it's just all these individual situations where he seems to lose focus he seems to lose competitiveness he is in many ways an anti-jazz even though jazz himself is somebody somebody that's still a flawed player um I think that's a guy that naturally people gravitate to for the intangibles that he has. Isan is not showing any of those intangibles right now. They'd be selling really low on him. Uh, I don't know exactly what his value would even be right now. I, I'm, I'm certain that somebody would claim him um, off waivers because of the remaining minor league option. Um, and because when he does go down into AAA... He hits. He does hit at AAA even this year in an abbreviated stint down there. He was an above-average hitter, yada, yada. He 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 still has a future in pro baseball. I would expect with a pretty high degree of confidence that he'd be back in the major leagues uh, as soon as next year, if not soon after that. He'll he'll get other opportunities in this game, but shouldn't be with the Marlins uh, just because he had his chance. He had a really long leash. This year, they gave him a longer leash than anybody could have thought. Not waiting until the final days of the regular season before sending him down for the final time. And it just did not work out, unfortunately. The last guy I want to mention in this main group, Eliezer Hernandez. It's time to go! He is certainly the quote-unquote best player that we've mentioned so far in here it's just an awkward fit with exactly how this pitching staff is coalescing moving forward and all the options that they have he is very much a tweener between a starting pitcher and a reliever he's a good tweener he last year you know in in a injury shortened season 2020 he that era in the low threes great peripheral numbers as well and then this year, despite dealing with several injuries as well, I mean, at the end of the day, in terms of run prevention, he was close to being a league average starting pitcher this year. He's entering his first year of arbitration eligibility, but he's going to be in a very modest pay raise that is efficient, even for the Marlins. It's not necessarily about being cheap. It's, and it's not about taking your pitching depth for granted, because certainly if the Marlins are going to be taking that big step forward in 2022, they will need to lean on just about every prominent young pitcher that you can think of in their organization at some point in some role. Eliezer is one that just doesn't really fit the mold. If there's one thing that this pitching staff, if there's any one characteristic of Marlins pitchers that really sticks out, it's the development of great changeups. Even the players they've traded away, even Zach Gallin, um, that was one key adjustment that he made in a short time with the Marlins organization. You could count him up. It's everybody. It's Sandy. Sandy Alcantara's changeup is better than ever. It's been Pablo's bread and butter pitch throughout his time in the major leagues. Trevor Rogers this year flashed one of the better changeups that any left-handed pitcher throws in all of baseball. With Eliezer Hernandez, they made a more concerted effort to have him throw it this year after he kind of was effective in spite of not having much of a changeup last year and the year before, they try to reintegrate that. There were a few individual highlights that I remember seeing and really piquing my curiosity. And at the end of the day, I don't think he made enough progress with that pitch and that he doesn't have enough other ingredients to make up for that being a two, because if if that changeup can't be relied upon, then, I guess the label you would use for somebody like this is a two-pitch guy, except for the fact that one of his other two pitches, the fastball, is not particularly good either. That was one letdown this year in watching Eliezer Hernandez is that his fastball we know his fastball velocity is limited, but he really needs to have good command of it and some little late movements, otherwise it gets creamed. And that is why. Throughout his major league career, he has these sky-high home run rates. He, He allows more than one home run every five innings. This year, he allowed one home run every four innings, despite a lot of those innings coming in the pitcher's paradise that is Lone Depot Park. I think people speak pretty highly about his work ethic. He is a former Rule 5 draft pick who has no doubt been a success story relative to what his perception was when the Marlins acquired him four years ago. And I I do think, as I mentioned up top, that he has significant positive trade value that some of these other players do not have. There are other teams that would really appreciate having Elias or Hernandez. Um, with the Marlins, I just don't think that he's as important to them as he would be with a lot of other teams. That and ultimately, that's why I expect him to be traded with a pretty high degree of confidence. Not a hundred percent, pretty high. We know from Craig Mish that his name specifically was brought up in Twins Marlins negotiations two years ago. They made a good deal of progress towards trading him for position player help. That's the kind of trade that maybe they could do again. Because since then, he's missed a lot of time due to injury. When he's been on the field, he's been better in 2020, 2021 than he was even before that. He has been able to establish himself as someone that gets outs at a relatively good clip in the majors. But I just don't trust him reaching another level as a starter or his stuff playing well in the bullpen either, you know, just without having that that fastball, we know how great his slider is, but I just don't think the other ingredients are there to really help solve, you know, what the Marlins need. If they want to put together an elite pitching staff, I expect him ultimately to go. I'm going to finish up here with a bunch of other names that, um, Quite as assured are on their way out. That that really should be, but you never really know with this Marlins team. Uh, the first being Lewis Brinson. I mean, probably when you saw the name of this podcast episode, Brinson's name was one of the first that came to mind. Despite his um, Brinsonity run where that came, you know, shortly after the All Star break when he was one of the hottest hitters in baseball, he came all the way back down to earth at the end similar to Alfaro, you know, the the numbers are remarkably similar to where they were in 2020, a little bit more over the fence power and otherwise just identical to who he was. I want to get the narrative straight on him that he was really, really overmatched in both 2018 and 2019. One of the least productive players in baseball, and he has improved as a player over the last couple of years compared to where he was at the start of his Marlins career. I think he deserves some credit for that. Uh, I think that's the only reason why this isn't a lock for him to be non-tendered as someone that's about to be heading into arbitration. Uh, he he's due a, a slight raise, you know, from the league minimum to something slightly over one million dollars, and he's gonna be out of minor league options. Uh, In the overall production, as a career 199 hitter, um, who is not quite superlative in the other aspects of the game to make up for that, I think that the decision should be to let him start a new chapter elsewhere. But, uh, you know, the Marlins feel very highly about his character. If it's not going to be a huge financial commitment to make just to keep him around for another year, as an insurance policy, if their other outfield pursuits don't pan out, then maybe he comes back. You know their um their loyalty to him knows no bounds. At least it has not reached its bounds yet. A similar category, Magneris Sierra, also out of minor league options, also can't really hit, and even more so than Brinson. He just he can't hit for impact. Um, I believe he has more played appearances at the major league level than any other active player without hitting a home run. It's it's hard to imagine that ever-changing with him. He's also going to be arbitration-eligible. He's going to be a little cheaper than Brinson is. Um, They seem to like him personally, but just from watching him this entire season, you saw that he didn't impact winning quite as much as as he did during the 2020 shortened season. There, There was not that step forward whatsoever from him as a player, even though he does do some things really well. He is a great defensive player. He is still... A very good base runner, but one that occasionally has some lapses, as seen in the times that just like a lot of players on this roster getting picked off of bases, losing his focus, and all that stuff. By the way, that he was handled this year, that he was on the active roster the entire year. And oh boy, let me just slow this down so I can find the stat for it. As somebody that was one of the few players that was on this roster for the entire year, and yet he only started how many games in here? 43? 43 games, barely one quarter of the team's games. Despite being active the entire time, it shows that the team understands his limitations very well. They uh, they were able they were putting pretty much every single player that they called up as a higher priority than him in terms of getting substantial playing time and finding a rhythm and all that. I think it's likely that they part ties with him. But even more so than Brinson, I think there's a pretty strong chance that he would clear waivers if they did try to pass him through that. He's not the worst guy to keep around in the organization as a non-roster guy at AAA level. So that's why I didn't include him in the main section before. I could see that scenario where they find a way to keep him around without having him clog up the 40-man roster and without any expectations of him at the major league level. One player we really forgot about all year, well, I didn't forget about him, but I'm sure you did, right-hander Jeff Brigham. He showed some very interesting stuff in 2019 down the stretch. And then last year, was at, he was out nearly the entire year due to COVID. This year, he just he basically never reported to, as far as I know, he didn't report to the tre- team facilities. They were calling it uh, biceps it was a biceps issue with him, biceps inflammation, but they never really provided substantive um, details about his rehab. It never it didn't really seem that he was in their plans in any way. He just spent this entire year on the major league injured list without, <laughs> without seemingly any plans of being activated, of being rehabbed and all that. I kept him out of the main section as, you know, a player that they'll be turning the page on because we just don't know the particulars of exactly what was the deal with him physically. And hopefully we'll get an answer to that, uh, in the coming days, but he's going to be 30 years old in, in February. And he's barely pitched the last couple of years. Um, I I would think likely that he is not held onto the 40 man roster. Um, that they do have some other young guys that have comparable stuff to him uh, that they've more invested in, but there's just this cloud kind of hanging over his status, so um, we'll just leave it at that for the time being. Another potentially divisive player that I just want to mention, Eddie Alvarez. We did get to see him through a lot of September. Um, It was one of the emotional lows of the season for me when Don Mattingly with a straight face um, right after they sent down Isan Diaz, he said with a straight face that a big reason why is because they wanted to get a look at Eddie Alvarez as an everyday player. Just uh, how do you like market that team? I mean, I know that Ed- Ed- Eddie Alvarez, in some ways, is very marketable as a, a beloved person and as a very unique and accomplished athlete, as a two time medalist in both the Winter Games. And now in the summer games in baseball, he, and being a Miami native, and all that, it's, there's just no reason to believe that he is a useful major league player at this at this age of his career. Um, that he he's just not good. He's just not. You know he he is a great ambassador to the game of baseball, and to have him involved with the Marlins organization is a blessing. He's It 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 just he is not deserving of a forty man roster spot on the team that's trying to win. He bumped up his stats a little bit on the final day of the season. I believe he got his OPS over six hundred, but still, you know, striking out at like a league average rate, and not quite as fast, not quite as impactful with his legs as you may think. Um, Not quite as solid defensively. As you may imagine, you know, there are these perceptions about him as being a fun utility guy and he's just it's just not as as, you know, good in those departments as you need from somebody that is occupying a, a major league job. I do hope they find a way to have him involved in the organization, but I mean very quietly last year at the end of the season, they did essentially they they passed him through waivers. They were willing to give him up at the end of last year as well. He cleared waivers. They re-signed him to a minor league deal and he hung out for most of the year at AAA in the Olympics until this spot opened in mid-September. I expect it to be a similar process this time where they they leave him open to be claimed by anybody who, who thinks differently, but it's hard to reach any different conclusion on him if you actually watch him play if you actually watch the full sample instead of just being captivated by particular highlights that um they they need to upgrade at that kind of role and so hopefully they if it costs a little bit of money to do so they, they should be willing to spend it and the final situation i wanted to mention here is at first base where lewin diaz down the stretch a lot of good, a little bit of concern with him as we'll get into on future pod episodes, but because of his the some of the tools that he does have, his very evident ability that he could be an everyday caliber first baseman and where he is on his baseball service timeline, where they have control for another 6 years over Lewin Diaz before he's eligible for free agency that He is essentially a lock to be on their roster at the start of next year that you need to give controllable position players with that kind of upside um, an opportunity at the major league level. And because of that, I cannot see a scenario in which Lewin and Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar are all, even with the team in spring training and certainly not all in the opening day roster, it's too redundant of a skill set for a team that has spoken about the importance of being very athletic and being very versatile, that you don't get a whole lot of versatility from that trio. With Jesus Aguilar, and both, with both Cooper and Jesus Aguilar, they're coming off of surgery, which complicates things. Um, neither of those surgeries is expected to slow them down from being available at the start of spring training. It is always a concern about exactly how long it takes to get back, back to full strength after a procedure. For Aguilar, it was with his knee. With Garrett Cooper, it was with his elbow ligament on his his left arm. There is a little bit of uncertainty about exactly what their status is going to be. Cooper's the one that has the higher trade value. But um, that, that being said, both of them could conceivably fit in the roster one way or the other. Again, this is a pod about players who not expected to be back next year and ultimately they're going to make a decision on that between really one or the other between Hayes Aguilar, or Garrett Cooper or maybe they do something really bold and end up really rejiggering the roster um, in, in a way that perhaps leaves both of them with different teams a long offseason to see that play out I intend to be with you every step of the way here on the podcast, the official show. Check these shows out weekly, mostly on Wednesdays here on the Pod Channel. Our full coverage is on fishstripes.com. You guys are chomping at the bit to banter about the new pieces coming in. Before we get into that, I wanted to just to talk about you know the guys that we should be prepared to say goodbye to the corresponding moves, the soon-to-be old friends of of the Miami Marlins that were top of mind for me. If there's anybody I'm missing that you feel is is really not much of a fit for the team moving forward, just let me know. You can find me, of course, anywhere on all of our platforms on Fish Stripes as well as personally on Twitter at Real Eli E-L-Y. A whole lot of more Marlins content coming from the entire staff here And we're glad to have you guys along for the ride. Go fish.